Welcome to another episode of In the Ring with Acacia Clemenceau. Glad to have you joining today as we're getting closer and closer to the second two-year-old sale of the season, the OBS April two-year-old in training sale coming up. So we have a lot to discuss uh, on today's show. Um, I think it'll be kind of fun covering all ends of the spectrum. So I have a two-year-old sales consigner and then a buyer slash trainer um, with a veterinary background as well. So I think that you will uh, really enjoy getting a chance to hear all of the sides of how these individuals look at the two-year-old sales. I had a lot of fun getting a chance to pick their brains a little bit leading into uh, this upcoming two-year-old sale. And now that we have March in the books, I wanna say a big thank you to OBS Sales for their support. OBS sells more two-year-olds than any other sales company in the world. There's truly something for everyone. You can find a diverse group at all price points. The OBS two-year-old sales combined account for 14% of the graded stakes placings, that's one, two, three finish, since 2018. On the website, you can find a horse's pedigree, under tack video, and walking video. A two-year-old buyer is not only buying the horse's potential, but also the expertise of the horseman that prepares these horses for their future. OBS is truly an international marketplace. Horses have been purchased from buyers from 49 of the 50 United States, Korea, Japan, the Middle East, Hong Kong, Singapore, and Europe. The OBS April sale is coming up April 25th to 28th with the Undertax show from the 16th to the 22nd. That's Sunday to Saturday. And then don't forget about the OBS June sale as well. That's June 13th to 15th with that Undertax show, June 5th to 10th, Monday to Saturday. So a big thank you to OBS for the support. We'll get right into it and welcome in our first guest on today's episode of In the Ring. Happy to welcome in consigner Steve Venosa, SGV Thoroughbreds, getting ready for the April two-year-old sale. Steve, I know it's a busy time of year. How are things uh, as you're getting ready for moving on through this two-year-old sale season? Things are going well. Um, we're over here right now at OBS. We have uh, 13 horses cataloged in the sale. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. Next week is the Breeze Show. Um, and then the week following will be the sale. So we're kind of excited with the prospects we have here. Can you tell me a little bit about the prep uh, before the Breeze Show? As you mentioned, horses ship into OBS early. Um, I know that some prefer to have a work in them at OBS before the Breeze Show. What's your process like? Well, our process is, and like you said, you know, everybody kind of does it a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. Primarily what we do is we make sure before we ship in, you know, our work's done at the farm. And then when we get here to OBS, uh, we'll just show them um, the eight pole where they're going to be breezing from or the quarter pole, just a couple jumps so they know where to drop in and um, really don't push them too much. And then we'll just wait for the breeze show. We'll just gallop them and adjust off of uh, their prep breeze. For the riders, uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Are they familiar with the horses before they come in? I know that there are some riders in Ocala who really plan for these breeze shows, and that's what they do. Yeah, um, a bunch of them, they're just, you know, I call them professional breeze riders, and they just go from sale to sale. Uh, fortunately, um, Jimmy Vale, he breezes our horses. He'll come out to the farm. And he'll get on them a couple times there, and then he'll also get on them here. So he's familiar with the horses. Um, so I feel very confident with his riding ability, and we, you know, we've had some success over the years. 
I had the opportunity to watch a few races at the farm with you in some preparations early. And it kind of struck me as you were talking about the the placement of a horse's body, their head carriage, the way that they move. What are some of those little things that you look for in those preparations? Well, you just want to make sure that um, when the horse uh, does work, that it is on its correct lead, uh, that his head is in the right spot. And, you know, oftentimes, you know, that's how the horse moves. Mm -hmm. So there's really not much you can do that as, you know, a high headed horse. Maybe you could work on that a little bit. Um, but you just want to make sure they do it right. And then also breathe. Uh, a lot of times you'll have a nervous horse or a horse that will hold its breath. So they need to get familiar with the whole process. You have some really nice pedigrees going into April too. Can you tell me a little bit about those you have in your draft for the upcoming sale? Oh, sure. Um, this is the first year uh, Fazek Tipton does not have a sale down at mm -hmm. Gulfstream. So historically, we would take uh, a lot of these pedigrees down there. But because with no sale this year down there, we needed to uh, fall back on this sale. So we have an Uncle Mo Colt, uh, who we really like a lot. Um, we also have a Good Magic Colt. Uh, we have a couple Twirling Candies. Uh, we have a Distorted Humor Philly. So we're pretty stacked for this sale. So we're excited about it. I'm sure I left a few out as well. Um, <laughs> practical joke. I mean, I could go through all 13. And we have a couple first-year sires as well. Um, we have a Cole Front Philly who we like a lot. As you mentioned with some of those first-year sires, Cole Front as an example, um, are there any sort of uh, maybe nervous moments or excitement? It seems in the market right now that the new sires are kind of um, the, the new flashy toys, so to speak. People are really excited about them. As somebody who's trying to plan which horses will sell well, how do you navigate those those newer sires? Well, primarily when we buy them, uh, we're looking for the individual and the athlete first and foremost. Uh, but what's always nice when you do come to a two-year-old sale, there's always that unknown factor to where if a horse does work well, um, they're really not exposed yet uh, at the racetrack to see if, if they're going to be able to go on. So there's always buzz about the new freshman sires, and if they all start working well at the sales, that's always good, and there's a lot of interest in them. And then you have some that maybe have a year under their belt, for example, uh, Practical Joke, uh, Good Magic. They've had a little bit of time to kind of prove themselves when we see Practical Move out in California last week. Good Magic has the sale topper in March. Um, what about those stallions that seem to have kind of already gotten some buzz with their runners out on the racetrack? Well, I really, I'm really high on Practical Joke, you know, every year. Even their first year, you know, I bought one, and they just all look really athletic. They move well across the racetrack. We were fortunate enough last year to sell Chocolate Gelato, mm -hmm. um, who won a grade one, and she's back with Todd now, so we're excited ab about that. Uh, we have a nice practical joke Colt here, and also Good Magic. I mean, he's a solid sire, and, you know, he's proven it. And like I said earlier, we really don't go out and target specific mm -hmm. sires uh but there are a couple that we do and practical joking and good magic is definitely one of them after the breeze show i know it's a it's a few days where all the consigners are kind of holding their breath hoping that the horses will breeze well and then you have to prepare them to be shown where people will come around the barns are there any things that you do in, as far as preparation is concerned to get horses ready for the showing part of it no not not necessarily uh most of our horses bought from a yearling sale mm -hmm. uh so they've gone through the whole show process and you know they 
pretty much show themselves. So there really isn't anything special per se that we do do. Um, you know, hopefully after the breeze show, we are busy and, you know, they're out walking because it's kind of tough because you train these horses up to the breeze show mm -hmm. and then you have to walk them depending on when they breeze. And this breeze show here is a week long. So if you have horses breezing on the first day, then they walk for a week. So mm -hmm. hopefully they're showing enough and kind of they'll settle in. What, what are some of the steps that you take as these are still young horses, they're two-year-olds, they're still learning too, to, to allow them to go through the rigors of the sale? Because for some, it can be a little bit of a strain mentally too. Oh, absolutely. And I also buy two-year-olds for, for clients as well. Mm -hmm. and, you know, I like to go look at a horse each day just to see how they're doing at the sale, to see if they're thriving, to see if they're going backwards, because it is very stressful because when you look at the whole process, you know, you have a horse that's generally been on, at your training center, your farm for approximately six months. And now they're shipping into a new place, new surrounding. Uh, you are pushing them more than they normally would be pushed because they have to perform. So it is tough for them. And, you know, the horses that hold together through the whole process generally uh, turn out to be the ones that run. And the other ones, unfortunately, you know, might need a little bit more time, uh, maybe turned out after the sale. Um but either or, you know, you just really have to do your due diligence when you are shopping. Let's use chocolate gelato as an example, a horse that you sold that would go on to win a grade one in New York and be a very exciting two-year-old. Um, what's that feeling like as a consigner when you see a horse that you had some faith in and that sold well go on to do so well on the racetrack? Well, she was one, an exception to the rule, because early on, the way she was training, I remember we had bought her off of Paramount Sales, and I called up uh, Spider there and, and asked him to go buy the mare. And, you know, early on, you can see, you know, a horse like that had the ability. And then mm -hmm. to go on and do it, it kind of stamps herself that verifies that, you know, you did see that early on. Um, but oftentimes at the sales, which is kind of tough. You have horses that you train for six months and you lead them up here and you have pretty much a, a 10 second video and a 50 foot walk. And that determines mm -hmm. their career in a buyer's eye. So it's nice to see horses that you believe in and go on to the next level and perform the way you feel that they would do. And at the end of the day, too, I, I know, um, you know, relationships are such a big piece of it. As you mentioned, for prospective buyers, there's not a lot of time at the sales to really be familiar with that horse. And so a lot of times they're relying on what you've seen in the months leading up to it. Yeah, and, and that's very nice. I'm very fortunate that a lot of people do entrust in me and my decision and my reputation uh, to where they will ask me. And, you know, once in a while you will have a horse that, didn't show up at the breeze show and it isn't like racing to where you know you had a bad trip or you throw that race out mm -hmm. and we'll come back in six weeks or two months and we'll rerun the race like i said we have 10 seconds defines our whole six months so um a lot of people will come and you know they'll ask me my rep you know recommendation on that and and trust in my opinion on a horse which like i said i'm very fortunate that they do do that so many ups and downs in this game too, and especially dealing with young horses, like you said, just a short amount of time to to uh, add up for all of the prep that it's taken. What are your emotions like during the breeze show? And maybe as you know, you always hope that they breeze well and then uh, things can happen as we know, and maybe it doesn't exactly live up to the standards that you had anticipated. Yeah, you know, it's one of these things. It, it, you know, I always used to say, you know, I'm kind of like a duck. 
to where you just see a duck gliding over the water on the surface, but underneath you're churning. And it was kind of interesting. You know, I've been doing this a while. And uh, the last sale I had, uh, one of my riders, I consigned his horse for him. And I was more nervous for him. I had eight horses in the sale for his horse than my other seven. So, you know, I've been doing this a while and I understand the way the game is played and you're going to have, you know, your ebbs and flows of it. And hopefully things work out. What are, some of, what are some of the most rewarding pieces of it, though? Um, pretty much going, selecting a horse, uh, and then coming back and topping the sale. You know, we've been <laughs> blessed a few times to do that, and that's very rewarding. Uh, also watching horses that you sell go on, um, and that's probably the most rewarding thing, a horse that you believe in and following it and watching it go to the races, and I think that's the most report, rewarding thing. When you buy a horse that you plan to go and sell as a two-year-old, what are some of the things that you're looking for at that stage? Pretty much just uh, the whole package. You know, a horse really needs to be balanced, athletic, horse's eye, um, the way it handles itself, the way it's showing. Um, and like I said, most important, uh, balance mm -hmm. and the athleticism, I would think. Do you look at pedigrees first or do you look more for the individual and then see if the pedigree stacks up? I look um, primarily for the individual because I don't mm -hmm. want to look at a pedigree because, you know, oftentimes, you you know, from all the horses you've bought over the years, you might have had a horse out of a certain mare that didn't work out mm -hmm. or a stallion that didn't work out. So right away, you're going to have a negative vibe on that. So I think it's really important to just look at the overall horse first. And then look at the pedigree and then try to put the whole package together. It's a never-ending puzzle, isn't it? Oh, you know, you never figure this game out. And anybody <laughs> who tells you that, it, it's one of these things, you know, it, it's a learning process every day. With, as you said, a different sales schedule this year, um, 3 at OBS now and uh, a larger, you know, it feels like with March and April, um, what were some of the things that you had to do as far as planning which horses might be able to shine best in those particular sales? Well, when we primarily get them home, uh, we'll look at each horse, evaluate. Uh, like I said, without Gulfstream this year, it was kind of tough because Primarily, we'll buy our, our horses that are able to get through that racetrack, who have that pedigree, who really fit that sale. So when we found out that sale was canceled, we had to just kind of reconfigure everything. And, you know, primarily what we do is the early sales. We look for horses that, that would generally be more precocious. And then, like I said, we weren't really sure how the March sale was going to be. So we kind of fell back a little bit more on April and put um, some more of our stock here. But, you know, every year we kind of just, just sit it in and look at our horses. And our horses pretty much map out the plan for us. Like I said, if mm -hmm. they're ready early, you know, we'll go ahead to an early sale. Don't they need a little bit more time? You know, we don't push anybody. Um, so with that said, you know, they primarily let us know which sale that they're going to be pointed towards. Well, can't wait to see all of your horses in this upcoming April sale. Steve, thank you so much for taking the time and I'll see you at OBS soon. Okay, looking forward to it. Best of luck to you. Thrilled to welcome in trainer and agent John Kimmel joining me here. John, thank you so much for taking the time. I'm really looking forward to getting to pick your brain a little bit. Well, 
uh, have at it. <laughs> Appreciate it. Um, we just had the first uh, two-year-old sale in the books. And um, as many people know, of course, you're a very active, very successful trainer, but you've been involved in a number of different pieces of the industry with buying horses at sales, um, also with your background uh, in the veterinary world too. Um, can you tell me a little bit about how you as a trainer at attack the sales when it comes to be sales season? Well, you know, I use a lot of my experience. I've kind of done a bunch of different aspects in this industry uh, from practicing veterinary medicine. I actually have been a breeder and consigner of and pin hooking horses uh, for many years probably before you were born in the uh, early 80s and mid 80s, I was doing a lot of pin hooking as well. I had my own consignments. And, um, you know, as a full-time trainer and training a lot of good horses and buying a lot of good horses at the sales over the years, you know, I use those tools uh, pretty much all the time when I go to these two-year-old sales, which have become increasingly more difficult to mm -hmm get separation in the quality of horses uh, at the sales. If if you're using just the breeze times, uh, there's so many horses breeze similar times in these breeze shows that uh, you have to go outside of the strict clock in order to make a selection that you will bring you some value. And you signed a couple tickets at the OBS March sale, um, a Lauban Colt and a Bernardini Philly, both of whom worked 10 flat. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about those two individuals? Well, the first one, I was over at Paul Sharp, who was the consigner of the Leoban Colt. And um, I was actually inspecting another horse in the ring and my eye caught this other horse. And I asked Paul, I said, who, who is that? He said, that's that's a really nice Leoban Colt. And mm -hmm. I've had a bunch of Leobans over the years that he's been just around. Unfortunately, he's no yeah. longer with us. A guy that trains a lot of New York breads. And I, I got to inspecting that horse. And he just looked like such a great athlete, uh, just a beautiful body, great physical. His pedigree page, I would say, was a little bit on the lighter side. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, what really caught my eye was his athleticism and balance, uh, both at the walk and what he looked like physically. And, and uh, my remarks watching the Breeze show, which I did watch live, uh, the horse was a very nice mover. And his out times, which people use uh, to gauge how strong the horses are in their gallop outs, uh, mm -hmm. seem to be one of the most important things people look at now. And, um, you know, he checked all the boxes and uh, even though he was registered as a, as a Kentucky bred, he, after further investigations was bred in New York and, or, so that horse will actually be eligible for the New York Sire mm -hmm. Stallion series. And, uh, I thought the horse and the sale seemed to be quite expensive. So uh, I actually had him earmarked for tops 300,000 and we actually bid one bid over that initially and uh, there was other parties involved and it went to 350, 375, 400 and I was like wow that was way <laughs> this one and the next thing I know my client uh, Mr. Flanagan who's 
been delving in fairly deep. He's been a successful guy that's uh, sold his businesses for a lot of money. He says, what the hell? And he, he stuck his hand up and bid four and a quarter. And uh, the next thing I know, the hammer went down and we got the horse. <laughs> so even though it was a little more than what we uh, had anticipated or how I evaluated the horse, uh, that's how we ended up with that one. And uh, the other filly, which was a very well-bred Bernardini filly, mm. and we all know that there are no more Bernardinis in the pipeline. Uh, he's been an outstanding uh, sire, but the fillies, and particularly his fillies have gone on to be remarkable broodmares. Mm. And so I think that when I looked at this filly from a physical standpoint, she would be the model of a well-balanced athletic filly that would be a great broodmare prospect uh, whether she becomes a good racehorse or not and she was a brilliant mover on the racetrack the consigner who i have a good relationship with uh, was so excited about her said it might be the best horse he's ever trained mm. and uh, if she's not a graded stake horse he'd be shocked and it took uh 600,000 basically to take that filly home. And uh, I hope she turns out to be a top flight uh, filly. Even as a two-year-old, she looks like she's got enough quality. And the good thing about both of those horses, they passed all the non-examination aspects, uh, which would include all the x-rays and scoping. And and they both got home to the farms and there were no surprises. Uh, both horses have gone on and, and trained quite well and are not exhibiting any detrimental aspects from the breeze show, which mm -hmm. is can happen very often. Uh, those horses have a tendency to be uh, medicated and sometimes things will show up once you get them home and it can become... Uh, a waiting game to allow those things to settle down before you can go back and put them back in serious training. But both of these horses look like they could go right on. And when you're training a horse at the racetrack, if the horse works 10 flat, you know, you're going to get a speeding ticket. I imagine the rider would be in trouble, but that's kind of the standard that we've seen take place um, at these two-year-old sales in particular, the a stress for a faster workout. Um, how do you gauge when watching the breeze show from that perspective? Because when you do, as you said, put them into serious training, you almost want them to relax and slow down a little bit more at that point. Acacia, that is one of the biggest problems of all. Uh, mm. Some of these horses come out of the sale and they've been basically taught, you know, pedal to the metal type of breezes. So, uh, that's always been a concern of mine that when you get them to the racetrack, and I've had many of them, that uh, getting them to relax and to settle into a nice breeze pattern can somewhat be a challenge because they've been basically taught pedal to the metal when they break off. And uh, as you would know, that would drive Kristoff crazy. If, uh, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> when, as it would be for me. I mean, I drill it into my riders' heads that uh, – Let's try for that first eighth and 13 and we can pick it up from there. So I have them wired for radio and, and pretty much uh, lose my cookies when somebody breaks <laughs> off in 11. But uh, yes, that is a, that's a big hurdle. And, uh, you know, these horses, that's why I think coming out of the show, if uh, 
you give them a little chance to come back to earth and unwind a little bit that uh, it is very beneficial to give them a little break instead of running them right into the racetrack and putting them into another breeze program. But, you know, some horses can handle it and, and some horses can't, but that is a hurdle that needs to be overcome. You mentioned with both of the horses that um, you left OBS with about the way that they moved in the breeze show too. What are some of the things that you look for when assessing those works before they go into the ring? Well, I like to see what their head carriage is like. I like mm -hmm. to see what their hind end, uh, how, they're, how they're pushing off. Um, I don't want to see them tail swishing. I don't like them uh, jumping leads back and forth. And... Uh, I like to think that what they're doing, even though it seems to be extraordinarily quick, they're not doing it under a hard whip driven drive. Mm -hmm. And uh, both of those horses seem to do it. There's so many horses uh, that can go in 10. If you charted a bell curve and started at like nine and three and, and went to 10 and three, you know, the majority of the horses are going to be in that middle peak mm -hmm. and, Say there's basically 800 horses breezing in the show, probably 500 would be somewhere between 10 and 10 and 2. Mm -hmm. And so it's really hard. You know, that's just, a, it's such a small fraction of time. Sure. When you think about it, it's like just snapping your finger. So it could be as much as a rider not getting their horse into the breeze as quick. And, um, uh, that's all it would take to throw you off a, a fifth of a second. So I really find it very important to see what they're doing and how hard they're pushing them on the next quarter mile gallop out. Mm -hmm. So I have it pretty well charted all the quarter mile times from the wire to the three quarter pole on that particular track and, uh, and how hard the riders are riding those horses. So I think that is uh, a significant aspect of what we use as far as the breezing part of the evaluation of the two-year-olds. When everything seems to kind of be coming together, when you like the breeze, when you like the pedigree, the way that the horse looks, we often hear so many stories of the horse that didn't pass the vet, that there was some sort of issue that the buyer felt would be a reason to pass on that horse. With your experience working in veterinary medicine, um, are there some things when vetting horses at sales that you tend to be a little bit tougher or a little bit lenient with and saying, we can work on this? Yeah, and this, this is one that's become very obvious uh, to me over the years that uh, there's a abundance of doors P1 fractures, which mm -hmm. is the uh, fracture of the uh, pastern bone uh, in the ankle joint. And uh, I, I, you see it, so many of them, that the local surgeons are having a heyday taking them out. And uh, what is remarkable to me is that uh, many of the consigners say, oh, it's just got a small P1 fracture and, you know, we'll we'll pay for taking it out. And basically they think it's like a car, you fix it and it's done and that's the end of the problem. But in my experience, uh, there are certainly a number of horses that do have P1 fractures that you spend the rest of their career maintaining and mm. met ankle swelling and heat and, and fluid in those joints. And it's 
just because you go and have it taken out doesn't mean that there's not going to be some ramifications of the, those little P1 fractures that uh, you need to manage for the rest of their careers. Now, granted, some do fine and never mm-hmm. show a problem, but there are plenty of them that uh, end up shedding cartilage debris that inflames the joint capsule surfaces. And those horses have big round ankles for mm-hmm. whole racing career. Your client, Mr. Flanagan, uh, Sean Flanagan, we saw very active at the sale and has had some success on the racetrack too. Can you tell me a little bit about your relationship with him and how he really seems to be diving full in to the sport? Yeah, I'm, Sean is a, he's a really nice guy. He's from uh, Boston, Massachusetts, and he had a, a software company that he sold for, uh, must have been for an awful lot of money because he's able <laughs> To spend this kind of money and doesn't seem to really uh, affect him. So, uh, you know, he loves the racing business. Not only does he like uh, the uh, purchasing and, and the racing, he, he likes the gambling too. He loves mm-hmm. to watch races. He likes to bet on horses and he's been around the game for a long time as a gambler. So, uh, you know, his dream is to come up with a, with a top class horse that could represent him mm-hmm. And he's got a pretty big family and uh, in a major race, either Oaks or classic, classic race. So mm-hmm. hopefully uh, it's not so easy to do. I mean, <laughs> uh, plenty of people that have invested millions and millions in the sport and uh, haven't had uh, the success to be able to be represented in uh, grade one races and, and classic races. It takes some luck along the way. But I think being well represented in the marketplace is one of the things that he's done right. This is a game that keeps you humble, isn't it? It sure can be. Um, we're getting ready to start uh, two-year-old season two. The, the two-year-old races started at Keeneland yesterday. Um, there, of course, there's more two-year-old sales to come, a couple with OBS and the Phasic Tipton Maryland sale too. Um, can you tell me a little bit about some of the thoughts from a trainer's perspective with getting a two-year-old ready to race, whether it's coming from a two-year-old sale or a horse that's coming from the farm, a homebred, or was purchased as a yearling, how does the the process begin for you with getting a horse ready to go to their very first race? Well, you know, I, I certainly think the most important thing is being able to train your horses in company. So mm. just having one two-year-old really doesn't work that well. So you know, learning to be in company during the gallop and also into their breezes. And uh, and then as you advance, I'm, I'm not a person that likes to do gate work until mm-hmm. the horses are extremely fit. Almost they've had a couple of half mile breezes because uh, the gate work is that first induced speed breeze because riders are asking them to break and, and get into a, a rapid pace right quickly. And I think Horses that don't have good foundation underneath them will have a tendency to have issues with their joints and particularly mm-hmm. shin. So I, I try not to do too much of the heavy gate work till late. And that being said, that when you start doing these breezes and distance breezes and gate work, it's a very stressful time for a young two-year-old. Mm-hmm. So the trainer's responsibility is to not only train the physical body, but uh, try to keep them emotionally together so that they don't start to become unraveled. 
And that usually manifests itself as being nervous or, mm-hmm. or uh, backing out of the feed tub, losing their, their condition. And all these little factors have to uh, fall into the right place. The horse is handling their gait work. Uh, they're breathing very well in company and they're holding their weight. They're into the feed tub. And those are all the little signals that would be pertinent for a trainer to say, hey, this this young horse looks like it's ready to go and mm-hmm. uh, check those boxes. And it's awful exciting to take <laughs> a horse. For me, it's, I, I got to say over the years, and I've spent millions and millions for my clients uh, at the sales is, is uh, when you spent a lot of money on a young horse in the marketplace and and going to that first race, it can be it's as nervous as being in a, in a big grade one race because you want to see the horse perform well. It's so exciting to see those uh, young horses coming to the racetrack. Can't wait to see it start here in New York. And of course, with the sales still coming up, John, you're such a wealth of knowledge. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to do the show today. I'll see you at the racetrack soon. Oh, no problem, Acacia. You take care and it's fun talking to you. Thank you. And with that, we wrap up another episode of In the Ring. Big thank you to all of you who tuned in and listened through today's episode. Thank you to Steve Nosa and John Kimmel for taking the time. And uh, again, a big thank you to OBS Sales for their support. Make sure to follow along with the upcoming April sale. There'll be another show focused around the two-year-old sales next week. So we'll have some great uh, new content for you there and getting a chance to continue on uh, covering this fun side of the world of horse racing and pretty soon now that two-year-old races have started too we'll get a chance to follow a lot of these horses out on the racetrack of course two-year-old races uh, began at keeneland last week which was pretty fun and exciting to see those who are already ready to roll um and it, definitely an exciting time of year the dream is definitely alive we'll put it that way um as always check out in the money media for some more wonderful content from all of my great colleagues over there check out the news letter from in the money media and as always if you have any topics of interest please let me know i'll see you next time on in the ring